Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Reason for Hope. We're very glad that you're joining us, right? Wave at the nice people. <laughs> Reason for Hope is an hour-long live broadcast, which is guided, uh, for the most part, by your questions on the Bible. That's right. If you have questions on the Bible, on Scripture, maybe a verse or passage of Scripture, maybe uh, world events or events in your own world, um, you'd like a biblical perspective, we're here to delve into the Bible to find the answers to those questions. So really, any honest question, as long as you know that we're delving into the Bible to find those answers. That's what we're all about here at A Reason for Hope. Um, my name is Dave Robson. I will be hosting and fielding those questions as they come on in on our multiple platforms, which I will be telling you what they are in a few moments with us today. Always different, always different combination. Pastor Bo Not, not always. As, well, <laughs> sometimes different combinations. Sometimes combination. it's really consistent. Sometimes it is, yeah. yeah. Well, as far as the day of the week, it is. Yeah. But, you know, with... This week's a little different. This week's a little different. But yeah. Anyway, Pastor Bo, <laughs> yeah. are you happy? Are you satisfied with that? Yes, <laughs> yeah. I am. Yes, I am. <laughs> sometimes different, possible. sometimes That's the right. same. <laughs> <laughs> pastor Bo, he's the assistant pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, where we're broadcasting from. Are you doing good? Yeah. Yeah, doing well. Doing well. It's yeah. good to see you. Thank you for, for being here yeah. today. Also, Peter <laughs> Martin, also on staff here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. He does all of our counseling here. Both these guys are authors as well and um, just wonderful brothers in the Lord. How are you doing, Peter? I'm doing okay. You doing good? Yeah. Did you bring snacks today? Or I did. You did? Okay. I tried to finish before the broadcast, but I didn't. So I, I, no. I, I saved it on the on the floor for later. <laughs> did you? Probably when you're doing your monologue in the beginning, yeah. I'll, I'll eat it. <laughs> I listened back to that show and you could hear... <laughs> <laughs> I know I try to do it under the table, but man, it's like the acoustics. Just yeah, really. just yeah. Whenever you're trying to be quiet doing anything, it's always you need to talk louder. Louder, than people yes, stuff like right. that. Right, take over your <laughs> snack eat eating. Well, <laughs> with uh, with those introductions, which are very professional and smooth, of course. Um, again, as I mentioned, Reason for Hope is a weekday, Monday through Friday, live broadcast, five to six p.m. Mountain Standard Time. We're here in Tucson. Arizona, and of course, wherever you are around the world, uh, through the wonders of the internet, you can join us and be part of the broadcast. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Reason for Hope is an outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson. So bear that in mind when you're trying to find us on different platforms. You can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. That's uh, kind of a great place to go sometimes if there's technical issues on Facebook or YouTube, which are out of our control. Our website is more in our control. So uh, keep CalvaryChristianFellowship.com in mind. Go to that Watch Live tab right there, and that will take you to our live page. If we're off air, you'll see a countdown to when the next show is and a schedule, not only a Reason for Hope shows, but our services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. We have a Wednesday evening service and Sunday morning services, three of them. Uh, but when we, are on, uh, when we are live, you'll see the video right there. You can sign in with a username and be part of the chat right there, ccftucson.online.church is the direct link, or again, just follow the link from our aforementioned website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. On Facebook, we are at uh, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, or facebook.com slash Tucson. Please like and share uh, to your friends. We'd love to reach more people, so if you've been blessed by the broadcast, don't forget to share that around. We have an app as well for your mobile phone, whether it's uh, iPhone or Android or even iPad or some of those mobile devices. So if you look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, you'll see that white uh, Calvary Chapel Dove logo on the red background. That's our app. And also on Roku and Apple TV, we have channels there where you can watch us on your big screen. Why not gather around with the children and the pets and enjoy 
our show in high definition. <clears throat> on YouTube, we are at A Reason for Hope. That is the name of the channel, A Reason for Hope, or youtube.com slash at A Reason for Hope 546. So just search for A Reason for Hope. And that's a great place to go for archives <coughs> as well. If you miss one of the shows or you want to listen to a question again, that's a great place to find archives of Reason for Hope and our services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship as well. Uh, our senior pastor here, Scott Richards, he's not here today. He'll be with us tomorrow, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. He's on the show usually. Not always, Bo, but sometimes, usually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sometimes it's always the same. Um, you can follow Scott on Twitter, at ScottR4H. He posts highlights from the show and updates on uh, news and worlds going on as far as like a, a prophetic, um, biblical perspective. Very interesting things, funny things. Um, it's a lot of fun to follow along with Scott on there. Very informative and humorous. And last but not least, our email address is questionsforhope at gmail.com. If you are listening to us on the radio, you are listening to a, a pre-recorded version yesterday's show usually. And so um, you will want to use that email address and we do get to those questions through our email as well. But everywhere else we are live as can be. You never know what's going to happen as with the live broadcast um, go. So. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, so when you do that, the beginning, it, you know, you notice that there's so many opportunities to connect. It's almost overwhelming how many <laughs> opportunities there is to yeah. connect. Yeah, there's well. so many. I mean, just just going to the website alone, right? There's so many different menus and and things, you know, just on the website. It takes like a little a little bit to just get on there and kind of go through all the ministry opportunities. Yeah, all the event. We've got so many yeah. events as well. If you go to the sign up page on there, there's so many groups and events and things. Yeah, it's a lot. It's yep. a lot. But a lot of people pick their favorite platform and kind of stick with that. And, yeah. you know, creatures of habit and all that yeah. kind of thing. So, uh, well, with all that being said, um, Peter, would you like to pray for us before we go any further? Just invite the Lord to be part of our yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Maybe we should pray before you enter into your spiel, because I think you need a little, <laughs> need a little help sometimes. Yeah, but you can, you know, we can include repentance yeah. as part of that prayer. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Uh, Father, we love you so much. We're thankful mm. for you and just the amazing grace and kindness that you show us every day. Mm. We do pray for this time that uh, as me and Bo and Dave tackle these various questions, that the ones that would be sent in, there would be sincerity on those asking the question and that uh, we would be able to go to your word and find your truth to be refreshing and good. Those listening would be blessed by it. Lord, we're mm -hmm. very thankful for you and we want to honor you. In your name, amen. Mm -hmm. amen. Amen. Well, once again, send your questions in on whatever platform you're on, the chat function there. I will personally be monitoring those. Try and get the questions in early because we, we do sometimes run out of time with these guys just <laughs> chatting away. Um, get the questions in early and I can... Uh, work through those questions, but we had a question to kick off with about biblical the biblical definition of submission um, And I think specifically like wives to husbands mm. who are instructed to submit to their husbands Obviously yeah. a very controversial subject, but oh, yeah. what does that mean? I mean, yeah. what is what is what is the Lord trying to tell us on that? No, it's a really good question and uh, you know One of the reasons why we wanted to tackle this one specifically to kick off the show is because Bo's with us You know as you said Dave, he's with us sometimes not always Not always <laughs> So not uh, always. I didn't know that was such a big statement <laughs> was so really dissected, man. Well, um, it was <laughs> I'm still working through it in my heart <laughs> Uh, okay. But yeah, me and Bo are both a part of a ministry called Running Light, and we deal with sexuality and relationships and things like that. So uh, we get this question 
quite often, actually. Uh, we get this question and we try to tackle it in the most biblically, again, honest way that we can, because it is a difficult one in our day and age. So uh, the two kind of poles uh, on opposite sides of this particular issue would be on one side, you have the very conservative perspective of these passages, and there's n- numerous ones, right? There's ones in Ephesians chapter 5, there's ones in 1 Peter chapter 3, there's 1 Peter, uh, Timothy chapter 2, and then there are various Old Testament passages that also uphold this particular ethic. But on, on one poll, you have the more conservative Christians that when they hear, you know, wives need to submit to their husbands, the way that they take it is the wifely role within the marriage is to adhere to the counsel and the leadership of the husband in all circumstances, no matter what. So in other words, in order for a wife to be honorable, in order for a wife to be good, she has to kind of be silent, uh, be very humble, very be very meek. She can't really speak her mind. She can't argue with her husband. And she has to do whatever he says, no matter what. So that's the more, that's like the extreme conservative end. On the more liberal progressive side, you have people that essentially say, well, this was written at a very patriarchal time in human history. These things more applied to that time and that culture. But now we're in a more enlightened time. Men and women we know now are essentially equal in all ways. Uh, there's no, neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. All are one in Christ. So therefore, these passages no longer apply. Uh, men and women are essentially equivalent within a marriage, and there is no distinctive roles that each member can take part of. So that, that's kind of the different poles that you're functioning off of, and it might shock you to know that we're somewhere in the middle of that. Uh, so let's kind of take each side and look at their strengths and weaknesses to help us understand why me and Bo and Dave as well kind of take a more middle ground when it comes to this topic of submission. So starting with the, the progressive side, the things that they have going for them and the things that they are correct about is they're right about the fact that the Bible was written during moments of time, meaning that it's not like, say, the Quran, which in Islamic theology, the Quran was not given by inspiration. Muhammad isn't putting his personality into it. He's not addressing specific historical issues that pertain to him and those that followed him. The Quran is eternal. It's uncreated. It's something that's always existed. And therefore, Everything written in the Quran is equally applicable to those living in 8th century Arabia as it is to you and I living in Western culture today. The Quran is eternal. It's timeless. There is no interpretation way to go about it. It is something that always remains the same. The Bible is not written that way. The Bible is written to specific people in specific times. And therefore, there are things written in the Bible that we take with a grain of salt. So, for instance, when we go into the Old Testament, there are certain prescriptions given to women and men regarding their relationship that we don't really take very seriously anymore. There are sexual restrictions, uh, for instance, regarding women's periods. There are restrictions regarding recovery after birth. There are restrictions giving uh, holiness, right, when women would enter into times of impurity and their ability to be not only in the temple but around the people going to the temple. Right, so, so those are restrictions that had a particular importance for that time period, mm-hmm. but we don't follow them anymore. What kind of passages do we have here, though? Are these given for specific people in specific times, or are these mm-hmm. eternal passages, kind of like thou shalt not murder, right? That wasn't just pertaining to Israel. This is pertaining to all people in all times. Well, when you go through these passages, they have 
universal implications to them. So Ephesians 5, for instance, it says, wives submit to your husbands as the church does to Christ. That symbol is an eternal one. That's not something where Paul is saying specifically to you, church at Ephesus, you need to do this because of this cultural reason. He's giving a divine reason, and we'll talk more about that as we get into it. The other problem with that theory of, you know, this is just pertaining to this particular time and this particular purpose is they've never really given an alternative. Right, So in these passages that I quoted earlier in Leviticus, I could tell you exactly why these passages were given at the time they were, and I could also tell you why they're not applicable to the church today. These passages don't really have a time frame like that. There's no cultural reason why Paul would be saying this. This is something that does seem to pertain to everybody. Mm. So there's no alternative given. It's just more like, well, you know, it's not you have your interpretation, I have my interpretation. It's I kind of don't pay attention to that passage in my Bible. I don't really read it because I don't think it applies to me. Mm. Uh, that gets into a little bit of dangerous Christianity when you're kind of taking what you want from it. Yeah. So uh, before we get into the weaknesses of the conservative side, do you have anything to add to that, Bo? Or I would just say to kind of uh, affirm that point that um, the issue of submission is not one that's um, based upon culture. Right. Um, but based on theology, it's based on a, a, a God reason, if you will, hmm. is very similar to the idea in First Timothy when it's talking about women in uh, chapter 2 hmm. of First Timothy, and it talks about uh, a woman uh, should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit, permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. Paul's reasoning is... We, you know, you would think it would be cultural, like this is just the way we do it. Right. <laughs> you know, right. That, would be, right. that would be the next sentence. Right. You know, this is how it works or something like that. But he doesn't. He says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. And, and, and it's interesting. It's the same kind of argument or, you know, is that Paul's reasoning has to do with God and theology. Right. And, and that's what you're saying with submission, too, is mm. we can't just throw it out. Right. Because the reasons are, um, to, we're told that it's actually submission plays a big role, not only in our life, but actually in what, say, marriage points to, and that is Christ and the church, mm. which is not cultural. Right. It's not a culture. That's not a cultural thing. Yeah. And so... Let's get into that, because this would be the foundation for the more conservative side. So what they get right, what they get correct, is they say, well, these principles are given to us, like you said, Bo, they're given to us from a theological perspective. These are not cultural prescriptions. These are things that are, they point us to God. So in other words, they're looking back at the intention of creation, that when God makes man in his image, the intention of that, of that formation of man is that we reflect God. So man is here to reflect the invisible God to the visible created order. That's what we're here to do. And when God makes a distinction between male and female, it says in Genesis 1.27 that God, in the image of God, he created them, plural. So that means that men and women both carry an image of God. It's not as though men carry a unique image of God and women don't. Men and women both carry an image of God, which means that those gender distinctions were intentional 
and they are intended to reflect different aspects of God's nature. So God doesn't have that kind of uh, split in his personality. Instead, you have multiple persons that all reflect different aspects of what we would consider masculine and feminine tendencies, right? All these things are contained in the Godhead. So that's what they get right. What they get wrong is they say, well, therefore, just as God is infallible and he infallibly leads, therefore men infallibly lead, and so women should always follow what their husbands say. The problem with that logic is something is supposed to be symbolic of God doesn't mean that it's infallible like God. So let me give another example. In John chapter 10, Jesus is confronted by some of the Pharisees, and they're accusing him of claiming to be God. And he quotes from Psalm 82, and he applies it to them. He says, does it not say that you are gods? Now, Jesus is not saying that they're divine, that they're deities. What he's saying is that as rulers in Israel, they are standing in the place of God. They are representing God's authority and justice to the people on account of his invisibility, right? God's not present, so they're present in representation of God. Now, Jesus then clearly says, but you guys are off, right? You guys are not doing the right thing. I am the one, I am the son of God. I do have a right to call myself fully divine. And you rejecting me is actually a misuse of your authority. So they're correct in saying, yes, husbands are representative of a particular aspect of God, namely his leadership aspect shown most in the father. What they're wrong about is by then proceeding to say, therefore, wives always must submit to their husbands, just as ideally the government is representative of God's justice and his righteousness. But when the government fails to do so, it is actually something that a person has to resist. So just as Jesus resisted the religious leaders of his day, and by the way, Jesus is the perfect example of submission, right? That's what he came to do. He shows or reveals that aspect of the feminine, and this is what Paul says directly in 1 Corinthians 11, when he's talking about the husband being the head of the wife, and then God being the head of the husband, I mean, I'm sorry, Christ being the head of the husband, and then God being the head of Christ, Paul is showing that. He's saying Jesus is representative of the perfect submissive will of God inside the context of a marriage. So if Jesus is perfectly submitting Yet there are times where he stands his ground and says no. What that demonstrates to us is that submission is not a total ethic. It's something that has to be balanced between other prerogatives we have before God. Yeah, and that's maybe where the, as you put it, the conservative goes astray. Yeah. Is they kind of use submission as a, almost like a, a club, yeah. you know, to beat people with, like, you must submit to me, not realizing that, that, the scriptures teach whether you're male or female right. that submission is a very important part of our lives. Right. So, for instance, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, submit to one another out of the fear of the Lord. Right. So, in general, in the church, in the body, there is a submission one to another. Right. We are to learn to come underneath one another, that kind of idea. Right. Just think of a Christian life without any submission at all. Right. Like, what would that look like? Not great. Yeah, and you know, if you were a person, I remember Pastor Scott the other day saying, you know, what if everybody's Christianity was like yours? Mm. You know, how many people would be reached? Mm. You know, how would people? How many people would love? You mm. know, like that kind of idea, real convicting, right? Right. right? 
but you, you, you take that into the idea of submission too, is like, you know, you know, how many people really have a submitting part of their Christianity mm. that, you know, they, and, and do we show that at all? And this is kind you of know? the uniqueness of Christianity because every other religion, the idea is I want to be godly, but in most religions, God is male. Right? There, there is a patriarchal structure within it. Even in a polytheistic religion, the, the top gods are male. And so the idea is if you have a god at the top and he's male, who does he submit to? And the answer, the answer would be nobody. Yeah, he doesn't no submit to anyone. So if I want to be godly, if I want to be like God, then I'm actually trying to achieve a level of authority in which I don't submit to anybody. That's the goal. That's the ideal. And that's probably why a lot of non-believers, when they go, like, they think of, like, oh, man, God? Like, oh, he's, like, a, a proud, pompous yeah. person, right. you know? That kind of idea. That's probably where they're getting that from, right? Yeah. Is that idea of, like, you know, if you reach the top, then, you know, the way you get to the top is not through submission. Right but it's through exaltation. Exactly. You know, self-exaltation. And in the Godhead, you see this really unique quality where God submits. God right. submits. And in fact, in Philippians 2, when Paul is praising Jesus, he, he sings like a pretty awesome praise song. He just breaks into a song halfway into the, into the passage, and he starts talk, exalting Jesus and his submittive qualities. And he says, for this reason, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to Jesus as to the glory of the Father. So Paul says that our God is so great that he does submit, that submission is a virtue within the Godhead because, because we uh, celebrate and worship a triune God, he can logically submit to himself. Mm -hmm. And therefore, Jesus demonstrates for us that submission is a divine quality. It's not a lesser quality. So when you said like, well, what would you be without submission? Some people in like the more conservative religions would be like, well, I'd be like God. <laughs> but from our perspective, the answer would be, no, you're not. Actually, if you refuse to submit, you're nothing like God because God does submit, right? He does have deference. He does have respect within his deity. And so if you're not submitting at all, you're actually not like God. And there's another uh, another idea, I think, uh, virtue that's really important when you're talking about submissiveness, because submissiveness could fall under like a virtue. Yeah, you know, it is. And um, and it, it, it's the idea of you know humility, mm. and obviously always encompassed by love. Right. You know, the Christian idea of submissiveness yeah. is not like a command. You were in the military. Mm -hmm. It's not so much like a you know, you just do you it. Do it, yeah. Yeah, and and you know, you're the wife or you're the servant, and you just submit. And yeah. you know, this kind of harsh, um, dutiful right. submission. Um, the submission that we see of our Lord mm. is one that is always accompanied by an incredible, passionate love. Right. Right. So when He mm. comes underneath, and the word submission. Just to fall under, right? You know, think of the the, the definition, right? To fall under, like yeah. in rank, right? You know, you think of Jesus in uh, John chapter thirteen, where he washes the disciples' feet. Mm. You know, he shows a very humble act of submission, right? Of coming underneath his disciples and acting as a slave, and acting as a slave, yeah. right? Submitting under them, coming underneath them, showing a real humility it yeah. really freaked the disciples out to see jesus do this yeah and but 
uh, but I, I want I would want the listeners to understand that the Christian that is mimicking Christ, it, submission is always accompanied by passionate love, hmm. a love for God, you know, the Father, and a love for our fellow human beings. Yeah, you know, so. Um, and that can be tough because sometimes we think of like submitting, say, to the government. Yeah. And, you which know, we're also commanded to do, which we're also <laughs> commanded to do. And people, pe- people don't think of that in a loving way. Yet first Timothy chapter two, at the beginning of chapter two, it says, <clears throat> you know, to pray yeah. for everybody in authority, yeah. right? Kings, governors, you know, meaning it should be a passionate love even for the people that are serving the country. Right. Uh, that moves us to the the place of submission. And, you know, that coming under, uh, again, Jesus being our perfect example of this, the best way to put it is it's, it's a recognition of a hierarchy. That's it. It's just a recognition of a, a hierarchical order that you're a part of and you're underneath someone. And what that means is that, you know, like you're my boss, we have a relationship if I came to you and I was like, you know, Bo, you suck, you know, and I'm like this 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 thing you're doing is so dumb, and I'm just criticizing you like we're I buddies, say, yep, and you you fire me, you know, like, you know? I don't <laughs> you think know? so. Yeah, <laughs> it's because that's me not showing a recognition of a hierarchical order. That's me saying like, hey, we're we're buddies, we're on the same level, mm-hmm. and I could talk to you however I want. The idea would be me coming to you in a respectful manner, mm. right? So I disagree with you, but I'm coming to you in a respectful manner, and I'm sharing what uh, what I believe would be best, right? And that's the idea in a marriage, where in a marriage, what you're doing is you're there's a lot of give and take, where you're both trying to accomplish the same goal, hopefully, right? The goal is we want to honor God in our relationship. We want to have a loving relationship filled with passion and goodness, and we have many things that we need to do jointly, right? We're accumulating money through our careers. We're raising kids. We're, you know, uh, working on ourselves in various ways. We're attending church. We're growing closer to God, right? You, you have all these endeavors that you're doing together. You're doing them jointly. And the idea is there's a structure there and how the marriage functions and how it's to operate. Now, given that structure, the hope is, is that both of you have the same perspective, right? Don't be unequally yoked. You have the same goals, and when there's disagreement, hopefully there is that give and take. When you enter into a marriage and you think, well, I just know what's best, so the way that this marriage is going to run is my wife's just going to become like me. She's going to see that I'm right all the time, and she's going to do everything I want her to do, and then the marriage is going to run great. Where in the Bible, again, look at the submission that happens within the Godhead. Jesus doesn't conform to be the Father. Jesus instead exercises his free agency and his unique qualities in order to complement the Father and achieve something greater than either of them could do alone. So if my wife's in the marriage and I have a a way that I want her to address the bills and I have a way that I want her to discipline the kids and I have a way that I want her to earn money and and I have all these agendas and I have all these perspectives and I'm not willing to budge on any of them, what essentially I'm treating my marriage like is I'm treating my marriage not like a partnership. I'm treating it like I am a dictator and I'm suppressing someone else's voice because I think I'm always right. That's a narcissistic bend. And this happens both with men and women. They come in and they assume that they just know best. And that's always going to weaken the marriage, right? What hopefully always happens is that as each member contributes, 
you're coming to conclusions and you're coming to decisions in a way that is greater than either of you could have done apart, right? And that structure allows you to do that, right? So women coming in a submissive attitude and demeanor to their husbands, husbands responding to that submission in a way of sacrificial love, putting aside their needs and their desires in favor of the wife because they want to represent Christ to her. That's the way it's going to be, like you said, uh, Bo. Jesus didn't, you know, flex when he was on the earth and is like, I'm God, you know, bow and worship me. Do whatever I say. He washes their feet. He hangs out with them. He serves their needs. He heals people and he dies for them. So if we're thinking I'm running the marriage right by just telling my wife what's what, I'm not running the marriage right. I'm running the marriage like a dictator, not like Christ. So I'm supposed to represent him to her and she's supposed to represent the church to me and even a representation of Christ to the Father, which is very beautiful and special. So that, that needs to happen within those confines, though, that we have that articulation and communication that enables us to do that. And so, you know, when I'm counseling couples, a lot of times things that go awry within the marital context is you either have women that are from more the conservative bend, and they have all these opinions about what the husband is doing, and there's just this growing resentment happening in her heart where she thinks, my husband's an idiot. He's screwing all this stuff up. And the second he makes mistakes, she jumps on him. She nags him. She criticizes him. She demeans him. Mm-hmm. And he just more and more starts mm-hmm. taking his finger off the pulse and just says, do whatever you want. I don't care. I'm done. I'm done being criticized. I'm done being called stupid. If you want to take it, take it. Right. And the woman goes, OK, right. You have this <laughs> unhappy marriage in which you've destroyed this this beautiful picture. Or on the more progressive side, you have both parties that just have their opinions. And I've, I've seen this a lot more recently where both parties have their perspectives. And guess what? They never resolve fights. The wife has her opinion. The husband has his opinion. They fight about it for a little bit. They're like, hey, let's get get a burger or something. They forget about the fight and they just both do whatever they were going to do in the first place. They handle their, they have separate bank accounts. They have separate disciplinary strategies for the kids. They have separate ways of treating one another. Everything's just totally separate. And it's like, you're not even joined really because there's no structure. You don't even see it as a joint venture. You see it as an individual venture that hopefully your partner will tag along with. Yeah. And that doesn't work either. There's some interesting implications to that too. Uh, kind of, we'll do a podcast on that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know what I thought too is, you know, submission is it, it's so funny whenever there's a hot button topic or word in the church we always have to take a step and kind of go why you know why is this such a difficulty for mm. us such uh, a pushback yeah like a pushback on yeah. it yeah you know what is it about it you know the term but uh you know when when you think about falling underneath someone um you know the hard part is like um it's hard for us to be vulnerable with people you know, and we become sensitive yeah. and, um, and, and that creates problems, you know, a lot of problems. And, um, and like, for instance, like sometimes I don't want to submit because, you know, I'm being stubborn mm. and, you know, and none of us want to, in a sense, just go, Hey, you know, like I'm wrong. Yeah. Like, mm. you know, like I'm just wrong. Like, you know, I, I should have known this, or I should have done that, I, blah, 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 blah. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've kind of dropped the ball, mm-hmm. you know, and, but, you know, that kind of thing. And, 
and I know in my in my like um you know I'm trying more in my life to be able to just go like hey you know when someone you know that old Spurgeon comment you know when someone says Bo man you you know you kind of you're a sinner or you're you know you you're you're not you're kind of a sinner yeah I'm like yeah Yeah. I'm worse than you think I am (laughs) you know it's like it's like yeah I know it's like instead of defending like See, submission is one of those words where we fight against it because there's something in us mm-hmm. that knows it's true. Yeah. That you know, there's it's like a reveal. There's a like word for that, isn't it? Uh, pride. That's yeah, right. pride. <laughs> right. It's a it's a real sin revealer. Yeah. You know. I agree with that. Um, yeah. And it uh, it shows that I can't. You know, I think of it like on staff. Can I come on underneath Sean? Can I come at underneath you? Can I come underneath you? Can I learn to fall underneath you? Am I always at the top? Right. You know, or is there times where you guys take the lead and I just kind of come underneath you guys? Mm-hmm. And that and you that know? structure in a marriage, by the way, it, it it isn't as concrete as sometimes even I'm making it right now, because sometimes in a marriage, there's going to be different strengths and weaknesses within partners. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be times where I'm going to ask my wife to take a lead in a particular issue because I'm going to say you're you're stronger in this. So. For instance, with raising our kids, I think that's something my wife excels at more than me is compassion and nurturing, especially in discipline. So I've had to come underneath her in a lot of her perspectives when it comes to dealing with our children because I have a tendency to be overly harsh and not compassionate enough and not receiving enough once our kids apologize to say, you need to make things right, you know, and just be overly harsh. So I, I want my wife to take the lead in the areas that she's strong in. But one last thing I'll mention before we get to the questions is when I'm counseling people, especially if they're thinking about marriage, one question I try to ask is if you're going to have this structure in which you're going to recognize, right, as the woman, you're going to recognize that your husband's at the top, right? He's the head of the marriage, which is tough, right? Like you said, Bo, it doesn't mean it's just one-sided, but it does mean there is a structure, mm-hmm. right? And so if you're going to do that, because there's no commandment for you having to submit to your boyfriend, but there is a commandment for submitting to your husband. So if you're going to marry someone, think about what that means. But secondly, ask yourself the question of who does he submit to? Who's my husband accountable to? Because if he doesn't submit to anybody, that's not going to go very well. So if you're, in a mar- if you're thinking about marrying someone and he's disconnected from anybody that could hold him accountable, namely like a church edifice that could hold him accountable, you're stepping into some water that you may not want to go into, right? You're going into a relationship with guy where if there's tension and conflict within your relationship, you have no recourse if he says no. And if he doesn't think, and, and he's doing something that you have a conscience issue with. So if you're a part of a body of Christ, if you're part of a structure, and so it's like your husband is over you, the church is over your husband, and then God's over the church. If you have that hierarchy going down, what happens is, if your husband does something that you morally disagree with, you say, this is wrong. This is not just my preference. This is something that we shouldn't be doing. And he says, well, I don't care. I'm the head of the marriage. And he won't listen to you. You have a recourse. You can go to the church and you could say, look, my husband is doing something wrong, I believe. And I want the elders to kind of step in and help us out. I want a counselor from the church to step in and help mediate between the two of us because we're not getting anywhere. Right. If you if you don't have that hierarchy over you, though, if you don't have that structure, what are you going to do? He's going to say, well, I think we should do this. And you're going to say, well, I think we shouldn't. And that's the end of it. And if he has more power within the relationship, whether it's because he controls the finances or whatever, you don't have a recourse as a woman. 
So you have to understand one of the reasons why the church adherence to a church structure was so emphasized within the early church is because of this reason. If we're going to have, if we're going to be able to submit to one another, there has to be an authority above us to which we're all adhering to. That's why, you know, in the passage you read, Bo, it says submit to one another in what? The fear of God, right? If God's not at the top and there's not a representative of God in direct contact with me, then I'm just kind of, God is just the dictates of my own heart. It's whatever I want. I could give lip service to this idea that I'm submitting to God all I want, but it's just not true. If I'm not willing to submit to a physical representation of God's authority on this earth, then I'm just submitting and, to my own And heart. really what you're just describing, there's a lot of freedom. Mm. And there's more freedom than any other structure. Yeah. People might go, what? That doesn't sound, well, that doesn't sound right. Yeah. Well, no, that there's a lot of freedom there. Yeah. Like for instance, if the woman knows that her husband has is going to God yeah. and and part of a church, part of a body, accountability uh, has accountability in a body of Christ, she doesn't have to submit to him out of loneliness or out yeah. of some emotional need or da da da. She's doing it under the Lord, right? You know, and there's a lot of freedom there. Yeah, there. You know, all the manipulation can just be gone, and you can let go of all that. Yeah. Because now it's under the Lord alone. Yeah. You know, but if you don't have that accountability, right? If he doesn't have that accountability at the top, then she goes, hmm, he's not listening to me, but I got to stay in this. Why? Because I don't want to be alone. Yeah. You know, I'm insecure. Yeah. You know, but, you know, it, that can be, that can be rectified. If, and, and vice versa with the husband. Yeah. yeah. Right? He's not, he's not in the marriage loving the wife and sacrificing for her because he's, Lonely. Lonely, yeah. right. He's, he's His submission's under the Lord. Right. So it frees them really to now look at each other in the right way, Yeah, mm-hmm. which is there's a lot of depthness to it's, that. Yeah, it's such a beautiful point. Yeah, and you know, it, it always bums me out because I, I get a lot of people from other churches to counsel with me. And I'll always call the church, right? That's a policy that we have at Calvary, and it's, mm-hmm. I think it's a very good policy because the idea is they're under you, right? They intend your church, they're under you, you should be the ones kind of arbitrating behind it. But it's, it's kind of sad where most churches are, don't see that as their role. They're like, well, you know, this is difficult. <laughs> There's a lot of issues going on here. Yeah. I don't want to get into it. You guys take it. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason why a lot of people want to go outside of the church for help is because they don't want the accountability. And then your church is essentially just a social club. It's not a hierarchy. It's not a structure of leadership and support for you. It's just somewhere you go to hang out and you have no accountability there. Mm. So it should be like the church leadership should say, this is our role in the body is to take a hold of people's lives and try to help them, right? Try to help them and encourage them and be accountable as we're accountable to God. That should be the role of the church and the role of the congregants is to adhere to that structure. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I had a follow-up question from Benjamin. He's asking about um, like intimacy in marriage. Like, does it mean that a wife should submit sexually to their husbands, but really it's the same kind of heart that you bring great, into great intimacy, yeah. right? Yeah. I'll let you take that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's an awesome question. It's yeah. one we tackle quite it's a bit. It's kind of a loaded question, huh? <clears throat> you know, you think of the scenarios of that, you know, you need to submit to me. I want this and you submit, you know, I can yeah, think of all those and, kind of things. And there's a lot of issues there, you know, because it's, it's, um, it's one that a lot of marriages have imploded because of this idea of uh, sexual submission. Right. And unfortunately, a lot of the 
the kind of sexuality that uh, some people are doing out there, let's face it, is, is sometimes can be a little scary mm. and, uh, you know, to a person. And sometimes a person will yield that submission sword, you know, and say, well, right. you need to submit to me. And, and that other partner, you know, the partner's freaking out a little bit, like, yeah. what? Mm. Um, you know, and, uh, and, and thing is, is things have to be, we see in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that things should be done consensually mm. in the, the marital bed. Um, and, uh, and it should be done with the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And so love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, mm. and self-control, self-control. Yeah. should be there. That's a big one. <clears throat> That's right. And <clears throat> when we're talking about sexual matters, a lot of times when this topic comes up, it becomes almost like a selfish yeah. idea at the very get-go. Of the of the question because it's almost like you know I really want to do this, you know why? Because this is what kind of you know gets me going. Yeah, this is kind of what what I like, you know what, what and it, and everything starts getting really selfish. Yeah, when really in Christianity we learn a wonderful principle from our Lord that it's better to give than to receive, mm. and that should be on the heart of us in intimacy. Mm in the marital bed. Mm. So the marital be- bed should be my my joy comes from the giving of joy yeah. to my spouse. So I'm not, if you're looking at it that way, mm. it's a lot different. Yeah. You're not going, well, hey, you gotta submit to me because I want to get this thing done, yeah, right. you know, this way. But instead you're going, hey, my joy is literally wrapped up in the joy of my spouse. Yeah. But there are some marital counselings, quite a bit, I would say, over my years, um, where there's a woman who has been affected for some reason, usually it's a female, by something in her past sexually, where she just no longer really wants to be sexually active. Mm. And then the husband is kind of like, hey, you know, he notices an issue here. And he says, hey, you know, like, we do as human beings have a sexual urge and a mm. desire and God has created this for us to enjoy one another mm. and, and uh, be pleased with one another and in this context. Yet, um, you know, he, he doesn't want to maybe, he doesn't want to force her, of course, but he finds that <clears throat> there's a real, a real stronghold. Something's really holding up you know, their, their union to being wonderfully God glorifying. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I can see a person asking that question of like, Hey, you know, I want my wife to submit to me in a loving way, Mm -hmm. but I find that she's just absent from this area of her life, just sexually absent. And that can be difficult. That can be challenging. And that's probably where a lot, some, you know, some getting with counselors and, and trying to walk through it together. Yeah. And uh, sometimes we have to be very patient mm. in, in, these, in the marital bed mm. um, because it's such a volatile area, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So because it's so volatile, it might take more patience. Mm. Um, because if you're not patient, <laughs> then again, it's so volatile mm. that uh, if you do anything out of uh, like a force or a coercion, mm in the marital bed and think of how much is done through coercion, right? Right. 
like, hey, you know, I'll give you this if you do this, mm. you know, that kind of coerciveness. Right. You know, it really cheapens, you know, the relationship. And yeah. over time, people know that. And it could, it could turn really nasty. It could turn really gross. So, you know, I, I have some guys that are saying to their wives, well, you don't want me to cheat on you, do you? Right. You know, mm. but, you know I'm, I struggle. I have sexual lust. And, you know, if you're not having sex with me, I'm going to be tempted to go somewhere else. I'm going right. to be tempted to do something. I'm going to start chatting online. Right. I'm going to start meeting new people. I'm going to go to the bars or things like that. Right. You know? So, um, you know, submissiveness should be seen most in the marital bed, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. It should be seen most, right. meaning if, if a person is truly submissive mm -hmm. in their life, in their Christian life, it should be seen mm. most in the marital bed. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah, meaning in their marital bed with their spouse, they should be ranking underneath. Yeah. You know, coming on, their joy is in that. Yeah. That, I like how you put that, because that, that's why we used to call have uh, intimacy consummation you consummate the marriage because what what sex is and this is what paul talks about in first corinthians 6 is sex is the culmination it is the perfect representation of marriage it is the physical manifestation of your wedding vows in which you have literally become one and so when you say it should be seen most in the marriage bed you're not being facetious or hyperbolic you're being totally literal, right? Right. This is the literal manifestation of what the marriage is all about. And so if you're selfish there, you can't compartmentalize it and say, this is just like a tiny part of my marriage. <laughs> this is you literally, this mm. is the you, consummation. This, this is the consummation of your marriage. Yeah. If you're treating this fast and loose and there's coercion there, I guarantee you it's spilling out in other areas of your marriage. It is, it is the penultimate component of what's going on. And so in Paul goes even further, I believe, in 1 Corinthians 7, where he says the husband body is not his own, it's the wife's, and the wife's body is not her own, it's the husband's. He's, that's a direct callback to Jesus at the Last Supper, crushing the bread and saying, this is my body, broken for you. So Paul is saying that there is a giving of our bodies, literally, that happens in sex. Yeah, and I think what, I, I, I mean, you know, what we have, what we realize is that, you know, sex is not a simple thing. Um, maybe when you're, you know, I don't know, 20, yeah. you know, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's certainly, it's certainly not. I mean, it, there's effort involved. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and so, you know, we have to look at our actions and we have to look at our hearts. Yeah. And Especially in a long, you know, long-term marriage. In a long-term marriage. Yeah. That's right. Right. You know where we have to we have to really, you know, um, be as you know patient with the grace that God gives us. You know, and because um, uh, there's there's so much. Uh, sometimes people will kind of cover over a lack of submission by saying things like, "Oh, I'm tired," or "I'm this," you know, yeah. and and that's not good either. Right. Because then you could start using those excuses all the time. I'm tired, and and you know, and because it is effort. Yeah. Uh, there is effort, but again, it's like being like Christ. How can I be like Christ in the marital bed? Yeah, you know, yeah. a lot of people don't read the Bible and the statements of Christ, and then think about intimacy. Yeah. They kind of always think of it outside of intimacy. Yeah. So when you hear, like, say, for instance, love your neighbor, yeah. you know, a lot of people don't go like, oh, well, how do I love my neighbor, like, as in my spouse in yeah. the marital bed? Yeah, you yeah. know. I would also say, you know, for men and women, 
being exploited in sex, especially if it's by your partner, especially if it's by your spouse, is something that you cannot come back from. I mean, the, the difficulty, the level of difficulty of coming mm. back to a healthy, trusting, vulnerable place once the most vulnerable place in the marriage has already been violated is almost impossible. Mm. So this is the number one place where you should be speaking up. So if your partner is doing things, and they might not even know that they're doing things that are bothering you and making right. you feel exploited, you need to speak up. You need to say something. Because if you feel violated there, that is going to taint the rest of your relationship. Yeah, a lot of resentment can build up. A lot of resentment. For sure. Yeah. I was someone, I'm sure there's a lot of people, but I was one of them that, that thought that marriage would solve a pornography problem. Yeah. Um, and it took me a while to realize just how sick and wrong <laughs> that point of view is yeah. to say like, well, I, I used to use pornography, but now I, I have you, yeah. my wife. Now I use you. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it took a while to realize like yeah. that is such a wrong, um, way to look at a spouse. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I, I know, I mean, I've spoke to a lot of, a lot of men, you know, and I'm sure there's women too that, that had that thought, you know, well, I had pornography, but I'm getting married and it doesn't, it should be a very different. Uh, a place yeah a whole know, mindset a whole mindset yeah right and that's where a lot of struggle comes because you're trying to take a you know a, an urge that you went to pornography for and and relate that to a human yeah you know um yeah but, there's a lot to a lot to kind of unpack yeah. if yeah. you're interested in this you can always go to runninglight.org check out the podcast is that that peter and i do we do a lot of podcasts yeah. on these topics yeah and there's a new group for women as well i mentioned that because i know yeah. there's um you know, the whole every man's battle. It's not just every man's battle. Yeah. There's a new women's group and starting I, very soon. So. And I do want to let people know that the Calvary uh, Conference is coming up in uh, March, March 6th, 7th, and 8th yeah. at Calvary Tucson um, Eastside. So, and they can sign up for that at Calvary Tucson uh, if they want to attend the conference. It's going to be a wonderful uh, conference on apologetics this time. Um, and uh, we're going to have uh, two booths there. We're going to have the uh, A Reason for Hope booth there um, this year, which is going to be really cool. Mm. And, uh, and then we'll also have uh, a Running Light Ministries just for kind of more sexual topics. And we'll also include our Calvary Biblical Counseling mm. um, Department uh, there as well. So, yeah. um, but if you want to meet Pastor Scott you know, and Sean, and um, I do. I want to meet them. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Then yeah. and and us, you know, certainly come on out to the booths. We'd yeah. love to meet people and just get to know you and um, and uh, yeah, just enjoy some fellowship. Yeah, that's Calvary Tucson on the on the east side, right? On yep. Speed, March six. Yeah, they the can go to Calvary Tucson. I think it's CalvaryTucson.org. Yeah. I think that's the website. Right. CalvaryTucson.org. Calvary Tucson. Yeah. yeah. What well, do you think? We've got only a few minutes left. Do you think we can do a bit of a speed round? Try and get some more questions in. Yeah, that's good. Go yeah, Peter. like answer them as. as be, be a, a brief <laughs> maybe ask them briefly brevity <laughs> <laughs> because there's so many questions you know there's one two three. go Dave. question from abigail uh i think the context is second samuel 24 11 through 13 Ooh. i believe i didn't look up but when we sin do we get to choose the consequences of our actions or was this an opportunity for us and david to choose god's will over his own well you just taught on that yeah, yeah. this this was a special um uh interesting thing that god did i think to david specifically um it, there are some reasons maybe why these three were specifically a part of the judgment that was going to take place 
at this time for David because mm. David did a census without really God's approval. Um, and there's some unpacking there to do in that chapter. But um, so I would say it's specific to David. What's specific? Okay. Yeah. Great. We can't choose. Okay. Yeah. Be nice, huh? <laughs> oh, you want this? Poison. I don't know. I don't know, man. <laughs> Did you read that story? I don't think it was good that he got I was thinking, well, you want to spank him? Do you want to time Yeah, 70,000 people got wiped yeah. out like really quick. So yeah. it was pretty yep. intense. Great. Well, Yari, thank you. You've asked your question a couple of uh, times, so thank you for hanging in there. What is the purpose of water? Water. Um, why did God create water and even water on other celestial bodies? Uh, was the was water the first thing created, and then the whole thing of the Holy Spirit brooding over the water and the mm. the relation of the Holy Spirit and the water? Yeah. So water, especially for ancient people, was deeply symbolic of what you would call like the the chaos or the primordial chaos that existed before order is established, mm. and that's how many religions and worldviews look at it. That's mm. why most creation stories begin with water and then an emergence of land. Now, as Christians, we don't believe that these myths or these legends inform the Bible. But what we are saying is that the Bible actually informed these legends so that the knowledge of how God created was just in people. And then later on, they started manifesting it in their own worldviews and religions. So when we see God hovering, the Holy Spirit hovering over the deep, the word, it's, uh, it became formless and void. The word there could actually be described more like a blank canvas. So think of it that way. Mm. So the Holy Spirit is brooding over the chaotic waters of the earth before there's an emergence of land. And if you read it, there's actually an allegory to life itself, where you have darkness, then you have light, then you have a formation of a planet, then you have an emergence of land and then growth on the land. And it's specifically actually a symbol of the Christian life where the water could be symbolic of our baptism in which we're immersed into the death of Christ. Right. And then the emergence of land is us coming up a new creation. Mm. And then the growth of life is a symbol of what God does within us after we come out of that. So there's a lot of symbolic reasons as to why that's there. Mm. It's a very beautiful point that I'd like to elaborate on more. But for the time being, I think that's enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, great. Great question, you I hope that helps you out, even though brief. Great stuff, Peter. Thank you. Um, question from Lonnie. Uh, she said, a pastor teaches on sowing a financial seed and that God will bless that and multiply. It's a pretty common prosperity thing you see it on TV. You've got to sow a seed in faith. Yeah. Um, is there any truth to that or is that purely just a money-making scheme on behalf of these, these churches? Uh, yeah, so <clears throat> there's some scriptures that apply to that, but they're all in the Old Testament. Mm. So God does promise in the Old Testament that if people give to the ministry, specifically the temple, then he'll bless them. Now, the reason why that's important to distinguish between the Old and New Testament is the Old Testament was works-based. That's how it worked. The people of Israel had to uphold a physical legal component to the law, and God's part in it, specifically for the nation of Israel, is that he would physically prosper them. In the New Covenant, we don't have a nation, and we don't have that type of covenant. It's not a uh, we do works and God blesses us. Right. It's instead we have a relationship with him based on faith, and God makes no such promise of prosperity towards us. Mm. So I believe that there are benefits. Like I could talk about just benefits of having a giving spirit and a giving heart. People are going to want to be around you. This is probably what Jesus means, by the way, when he says that those mm. who give up these things will have a thousand fold in this life and the next. Mm. Right? If you're a giving and generous person, people want to be around you. Yeah. And they want to support you when you fall upon hard times. Right. If you're a Scrooge, and you fall in hard times, no one wants to help you. Yeah. They're going to they're gonna rejoice when you fall in hard times. So yeah. that, that could be one of the reasons why Jesus says that. But there's no 
promise in the New Testament that if we give to particular ministries, God will respond with a physical blessing. Mm. Yeah, I would have you read Second uh, Corinthians chapter eight and nine, mm-hmm. um, and those are really good spots um, to really dissect this idea of reaping and sowing, mm. and uh, even financially. And and what is the gain? What is mm. what do we really gain? Because there is from, a gain. Yeah, there is a yeah. gain. But what is that gain from the generosity? <clears throat> Um, the Macedonian church gave out of their poverty. It yeah, says, right. it's really interesting. It doesn't say they were rich yeah. and that they gave. And it doesn't say know, they became rich And either. they became <laughs> rich, right. <laughs> it's like they were in their poverty, but it says they gave gener- generously. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and Paul talks about that they, they, the fruit of it is righteousness, actually. Mm. And um, so it's a little different than uh, what the prosperity right person out there is probably saying. Yeah. And that was Second Corinthians? Second Corinthians 8 and 9. 8 and 9. Yeah. Okay, so Lonnie, that's a great place for you to check out. What would be, would you, your advice be for her to maybe think about fellowship in somewhere else if, if the if pastors, they're teaching that, yeah. if they're teaching and. That's exploitative. Yeah. And yeah. So I, I would, I would recommend that. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, Peter, thank you. Bo, thanks. We're out of time. Yeah. Thank Look you. Look at that. We did a good speed round at the end. Thank you for joining us with your questions. Great questions today. Mm. Tomorrow will be the last day of the week for us here at Reason for Hope Friday. Last show. Have a wonderful rest of your evening and we'll see you tomorrow. We hope. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word. One question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.